encourage you to grab that Bible in front of you and flip open to Judges, and that's uh, page 223, page 223 towards the front of your Bible. It'll be helpful because in a moment we're going to read a rather large passage of Scripture, uh, and it'll be helpful for you just to follow along and pay attention uh, if you've got a, a Bible in front of you. But if you remember, we began the study last week, and so Pastor Matt just led us out into this new series, and we're just working our way through through Judges, and uh, really there were two overarching ideas that were really unpacked. There was a lot unpacked last week, but two things, uh, really this, this idea of uh, compromise and what it does, and so God's people compromised when he called them to wholehearted obedience. That's what, that's what we saw. We saw that God's people had compromised when what he really wanted and what he desired for, for the people in Israel and for us is that, that we would walk in wholehearted obedience, that that's what he desires for us. And so they had accepted what he hated. They had become tolerant of things that he had called them to destroy, and it created all sorts of problems for them. And then, like I mentioned a while ago, in the midst of this compromise, in the midst of this, he's, he's a God who's constantly, even in the midst of our failure, his grace was calling them back to himself. And even though there were hard consequences, and we're going to talk about this tonight, but even though there are hard consequences, he's, he's calling, he's constantly calling us back to, back to himself. So it's important for us to understand that. And what we saw last week, Matt made a great point, just pointing back to Joshua, is that, that Joshua started well what started well with Joshua didn't really finish well it didn't take long we saw that Joshua died and it didn't take long after Joshua died that the wheels started to wobble a little bit and then eventually they just came off the bus and and, and we saw that and then we saw that Joshua Joshua had died I um I love going to the movies I don't know why it's one of my favorite things to do I love going to the movies by myself but I can promise you there's two things that are going to happen if I go to the movies. One, I'm never going to go to the movies without a large tub of popcorn for me. <laughs> and a large Coke. It's gonna, like, that's it. And, so, and number two, I'm not going to the movies unless I can be at the movie theater before the previews start. Like, I want to see what the coming attractions are. And so I know some of y'all just like to roll in as the movie's starting or roll in, in during the previews. I'm not that guy. If I can't be there early to see the previews, then I'm not, I'm not going. Because I want to see the coming attractions. I want to see what's coming next. And what we see here in the first two chapters of Judges is we see really God's, he's giving us a preview of what is coming. Okay, that's, that's what's going on in chapters 1 and 2. He's giving us this preview of what's coming throughout the book of, of Judges. It, think of it like an overview or a synopsis. And, and what we're going to see tonight is the second half, the second part of this, this prologue. And it's going, to, it's going to include, like Matt mentioned last week, when you look at, at the beginning in Genesis there at the beginning, you know, you, you see... God coming back around and driving home some points. And so it's going to include the same period that we already looked at. But we're going to see some things from a different perspective. Think of it like we're seeing things from, from God's perspective. And last week there was a lot of information, a lot of description. And this week's going to be really just a, a perspective from God's, from God's point of view of the same period of, of time. Okay? All right. Well, let's, uh, 
let's dive in. And like I said, there's going to be a, a large passage of Scripture, but ev- with everything that I just said, let's unpack the rest of the, the chapter 2. Matt went through verses 5. We're going to pick up in verse 6. Y'all ready? When Joshua dismissed the people, okay, so remember in chapter 1, verse 1, it said Joshua died. But we're, we're, remember, we're backing off and, and we're giving a full picture as to what's going on here. And so when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that had, uh, he had done for Israel. Okay? So you see what's going on. Joshua's alive. They're following God. The people that were with Joshua, they're following God. And all of a sudden, everybody dies off. And now we've got a generation who is no longer following God. Verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods, from whom the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hands of the Lord was against them for, for harm. And the Lord had warned, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, And they were in terrible distress. Verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand uh, of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. And they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them. From the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity to their groaning by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop off any of their practices or, or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, Because of this people, have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice. I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Okay, mouthful, mouthful. But let's, let's just kind of, let's, let's get an understanding of what's going on here. Um, back in the 90s, I, there was a familiar movie for me. I, I love the movie. It was, uh, since we're talking about movies tonight, but Groundhog's Day. 
And, uh, and I don't know if you, you know, if you were around back then, it's classic. So even if you weren't, maybe you've had some exposure. Uh, but Bill Murray played this weatherman, and he was covering this event that was taking place on, on Groundhog's Day. But he was, he was in this endless time loop. Like he, he couldn't, it never ended. And so he would go through Groundhog's Day, and then he would wake up the next day, and he would live it all over again. And in the beginning of that, he loved it, and it was exciting, and it was great, and it was awesome. But as it went on, it's like, what in the world is going on? Like, how many times do I have to relive this over and over and over and over again? But he had to do that until he got it, until he got it right. And, and, you know, this is kind of the picture that we're, we're seeing here. Judges is kind of like an early version of Groundhog's Day, the, the original Groundhog's Day. And it was just this endless cycle of the people of God would indulge in sin and then the judgment of God. It would grieve the heart of God and he would bring judgment upon his people. And then they would cry out to God and groaning. And then he would bring salvation through these judges. Don't think of judges in the same sense that we think of judges today. That They were more like a, a deliverer. Think of, of the judges that we see in, in this book as, as deliverers. And so that he would send this judge to deliver the people, and then guess what would happen? They would turn to God, judge would die, and they would go right back to sin. They would, God would bring down judgment. They would, you see in this, just this endless cycle over and over and over. Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. And it just happened over and over and over again. You know, Groundhog Day is a, is a comedy, but Judges, if we're honest, is more like, a, it's more like a tragedy because the people of God, they just couldn't learn. They just didn't learn. They couldn't figure it out. And so what we want to do is we want to learn from their mistakes. We, we have a great opportunity over the next few months to really learn a lot from the mistakes that, that God's people did uh, in the book of Judges. He, here's what happened. The generation that followed Joshua squandered the spiritual capital that they had inherited that's what we see that the people that followed the generation that followed they squandered this capital like like God was doing great things the people of God were were following after him and then in in verse 2 uh, verse 10 of chapter 2 it says and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose a generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel so here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to introduce this idea tonight, and we're going to call it the second generation syndrome. The second generation syndrome. And so you're going to see that. We, you know, we're going to weave that all throughout the message tonight. Um, but there's a, there's a natural tendency with this second generation idea and the second generation syndrome, and there's this tendency to accept the status quo, to, to lose the vision of the first generation. Okay, and so there, there, there's this tendency to that. And too oftentimes what happens is, is the second generation experience is a secondhand experience. And that's, what, that's the ways in which we get into all sorts of, of trouble. And so church history, I mean, we see it in Scripture. We'll see it all throughout the book of Judges. But we also see just in church history in general. And if we're honest, sadly enough, in far too many churches and in far too many Christian homes that that the, the second generation experience is really a second-hand experience. And we'll unpack that a little bit more tonight, but here's, here's the best way to think about it. What begins with the, with the parents' zeal 
becomes the children's formality and often ends in grandchildren's apathy. And you think, like, and that's why I said this can feel overwhelming. It can feel discouraging because you, you think, okay, well, it's good that our kids grow up in church. Isn't that, a, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that God's design? Well, 100% that's God's design. But there are some challenges that come along with this. And we need to be very, very careful to, that we address these things. And, and I, uh, So I spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks thinking about this. It, and, I, and so I thought back to all my years in student ministry. And I started thinking about... Now, now let me say this. This is not a hard and fast rule, but... I spent a lot of times in a lot of years in student ministry, and so I saw a lot of students come through the ministry over those years. And oftentimes, the most committed students, the most faithful students, the most sold out for Jesus students, the students that had the most influence in the lives of other people, the students that were leading people to Christ. They didn't grow up in a Christian home. They didn't have Christian parents. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't a lot of, and there aren't a lot of, like there are tons of amazing kids that are growing up in Christian homes right now today that are growing up in this fellowship, and they're amazing, and they're awesome, and they're wonderful. I'm just saying that there are some challenges. We need to understand there are some challenges because the enemy is going to do whatever he can to drive a wedge. He's going to do whatever he can to distract. He's going to do whatever he can to deter. He's going to do whatever, do whatever he can. So again, there's a lot of wonderful kids and, and kids that are making a difference in this world, making a difference in their schools, and kids that have grown up in the church and doing great things. But I just, as, you, as I start thinking of the, the students that are like just, they didn't have, they didn't have that. And so that begs the question, okay, well, that's not a shot at our kids. That's a, well, what's the difference? What's caught, what, why, why is that? And I think that's a good and healthy question to, to ask. We should be asking that question, well, what's the difference? Because we want that for our kids. We want that for our kids. And so that's God's design. And, and again, like I said, I'm not trying to discourage, discourage you. Raising your kids in the church is not a bad thing. It's not like you say, you know what? They got a better shot not growing up in the church. So, hey, kid, you're on your own. Good luck. That's, that's not what I'm saying. It's God's design, but we would be foolish not to learn from the mistakes that we see here in Scripture and from the people in the past. Like, it would be foolish not to do that, not to address that, hey, there are some challenge that, challenges that come along for kids that grow up within within the church but I'm I'm going to be honest with you that you're you're probably going to leave with more questions than I give answers to tonight and that's okay that's a good thing we should continually be wrestling through this we should continually be wrestling through this and let me say this before we go any further this isn't just for parents, and so if you're not a parent here tonight, or you've got grown kids, or whatever this is, this isn't just for parents, but if, if you're a parent of a child, you have children under your roof, listen up tonight, pay attention, this is important, but it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if you're, uh, maybe you're, maybe you're single, and you're a young adult, or maybe, maybe you have grown children, or maybe you're, you're a grandparent, or a great-grandparent, maybe, maybe you're still single, and you don't even know if you'll ever get married, 
this is important for each and every one of us in the room. Maybe you're a first-generation Christian. Maybe you're a second-generation Christian. Maybe you're a third-generation or fourth-generation Christian. It doesn't matter that there's personal responsibility for each one of us that we all need to take moving forward, especially because you're part of, okay, maybe you don't have children at home, but you're in a family, and there are kids that are in your family. There are kids that are in this family, and they're part of our family, and we have a responsibility. Maybe you serve in different capacities, whether it's in the preschool or whether it's in the children's ministry or whether it's in student ministry or maybe, maybe just in community with other, with other parents. Or you're, you see what I'm saying? And so we want to make sure that when we're investing in people that we're, we're giving good biblical advice, that we're, we're, we're teaching and telling and discipling and doing the right things. As we give advice and, and love on the people around us. So it's for everybody in the, for everybody in the room. But before we look at the ex- examine the failures, I want to just take just a moment and examine um, just the impact that Joshua had on his generation. You know, there's a lot of great things we know about Joshua. Like he, he did a lot of great things. He was a, a great soldier. He was a great leader. But those things really are superficial, really compared to really who he was and what his heart beat for think of Joshua like this Joshua had an act of faith that was responsive to the word of God that was responsive to the word of God and Joshua 1 verse 7 8 says only be strong and very courageous be careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous and then you will have good success. Think think about just the bold faith that Joshua had. Think Think of how he led the people of Israel into the promised land. He led them to and through the Jordan River on dry ground. Think about how... You know, when he went to, when God called them to take Jericho, they didn't go in and, into battle. They, they marched around Jericho over and over and over again, singing songs. But yet, he, he stepped out in obedience. He did what God called him to do. Think about when, when he told the sun and the moon to stop, and it did. I mean, all these amazing and awesome things that, that Joshua did. Like, he, he, and again, he wasn't. He wasn't perfect, but he trusted God and he ordered his life by the word of God. That's what he did. If whenever an individual does this, they will have a tremendous, make a tremendous difference in the lives of the people around them. If you trust God and build your life on his word, you can and will have a godly influence on those around you. All right, so think about, you know, I started to say you'll have a godly influence on your family. And you will. But it won't just be on your family. It, it'll, be, it'll be on your, in your family. It'll be your extended family. It'll, it'll be this family. It'll be the people that you come in contact with when you go to work or in your neighborhood. That, that when you trust God and build your life on his word, you, you'll have a bold faith and you will have influence, a godly influence on, on the people around you. Let's look in verse, let's look back at verse 10 and continue into verse uh, 11 and 12. 
It says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. So here's, here's a couple questions I have for you. And he points back to all that, that, that God had done, all the, the amazing, awesome things that God had done. Well, the question I have is, how did they, how did they forget? How could they, how could they fail? How did, this, how did this happen? How did, how did they get here? And I think it's, it's easy for us to sit here and go, yeah, how did that happen? But then I, I was just thinking about the world in which we live in, the country in which we live in. How did we get here? How did we get here? How do, in a country that was not so long ago founded on Christian principles, it, the, the foundation of everything that we do, most everything that we do, is really based on Christianity and what we, we see in Scripture. But... We've, we've come a long way from there. And as a country, we are no longer a Christian nation. Agreed? And, and so w- what we see is just, it's the same thing. Wash, rinse, repeat. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about Israel, whether we're talking about the United States of America. And, and here's the thing. The people weren't uninformed, just like the people today that, that by masses don't go to church, that, that don't know God, that don't even know anything about God. It's not that they weren't uninformed. They, had, they hadn't seen, but they had heard. It wasn't facts that they lacked, but there's a, there's a difference between being informed and being impacted. Those are two totally different things. Because being informed is not the same as being impacted. They had become complacent about the living God. They got to a place where, and, and I'm just going to be honest, I, I feel like this is a problem within the church of today. That they were yawned with boredom when it came to Christianity, when it came to faith. And they're like, oh yeah, we've heard that before. That whole Egypt thing, the Red Sea, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, we've heard that over and over and over again. And I believe that that the, one of the greatest tools of the enemy is the, is the yawn. And, and some of you, I, I just, some of you, that you know this, you live this. Like you, you heard this so much growing up that it just became just second nature. Yeah, 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 Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, I know that. Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, he rose from the dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else? No, no, no. Son of God died in your place. He was dead for three days. He's no longer dead. We should never just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what happens is, is, is if you grow up in this culture, or you're even if you maybe you've been walking with the Lord for five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is. And so like sometimes we, we get to this place where it's like we, we kind of yawn at these amazing, unbelievable biblical truths that should just captivate our hearts and lead us to worship and praise. But because we've heard it so many times, just like, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I know. Just tell me what to do. Or maybe you've seen this firsthand in the life of somebody around you. Maybe you've seen it firsthand in your own child. 
where you just see people in the church that are unimpressed with the unbelievably impressive things of God. And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be so. Here's, here's the heart of a second generation attitude. It's, it's apathy about amazing biblical truths the church has heard from an early age. And we just become callous or become indifferent to these amazing biblical truths. And whether we like it or not, this is very much a part of the contemporary Christian church of today. It is. And so we've got to address these things. And, and I, I want to address something else too. I think, I think one of the greatest stumbling blocks to new believers as, as new believers come to face, and I'm not talking just about, we're not talking about just about kids or teenagers or young adults. I mean, just when people come to faith, when, when, when somebody places their faith in Christ and they are born again, a new believer, I, I think one of the greatest stumbling blocks is not the opposition of the world, but the apathy of established Christians in the church. And so a new believer comes to faith and they've got all this zeal. And a, a, and a, a believer, somebody who's been a believer for a while, yeah, 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 that'll wear off. Shut your mouth. Like, we should be a zealous people. We should be excited about the living God and serving the living God. But what happens is, is somebody comes to faith and then they look around and are like, is nobody else excited but me? And that is a problem. And so what happens is, is for most people, well, they just conform like, okay, well, I guess this is what it's about. I mean, I read my Bible and it doesn't really look like that's what it's about, but I'm looking around at everybody and nobody's really excited about this God. And so I'm just going to conform. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so we shouldn't ever squash that. We shouldn't ever, we shouldn't ever do that. And so we've got to be careful that we're not a stumbling block to new believers by just living out apathy within the, within the church. And so what, one of the things I see here, too, is that, you know, um, clearly the first generation, we're talking about second generation syndrome, the first generation had some problems. Matt identified those last week. They were, you know, responsible for, um, for some failure on their, por- on their part. Um, and they were responsible for that. But what we see here is God's not placing blame on the first generation. He's... He's saying, hey, second generation, you're responsible for your failure. And so just real quickly, as we move into uh, a few factors that will help us you know, unpack these things, um, as parents, here's what we're responsible for. Because again, it can feel overwhelming. Like, okay, well, I have all this responsibility and all this weight and this burden. And here's what we're responsible for. We're responsible for what we teach or don't teach our kids. We're responsible for how we live out our faith. We're responsible for those things. We're not responsible for what they do with what they've been told. Okay? That's, that's their responsibility. So we want to do our very best to teach them correctly, to live out faith as God intended for us to live it out, to be authentic and to be genuine and to be bold in our faith. But we're not responsible for what they do or don't do with that. Okay? And so God, God places the responsibility on these second-generation believers. All right, three factors that led to their uh, second-generation syndrome. Number one, uh, actually, I, I missed a slide here because that's what I do. Uh, so to be complacent in the face of Calvary is blatant rejection of God 
And that complacency grows like a cancer. It grows like a cancer. And so we got to be careful that we don't become complacent with the, just the beauty of the cross and the beauty of Jesus. And we understand that just like I just said, you know, we, that, that when we become apathetic, it's like a cancer. And it grows and grows and grows. And we saw that. We'll see it all throughout the book of, of Judges. And so three factors. Number one, they were, stat- they were satisfied with the status quo. They were satisfied with the status quo. So the first generation, they, they did conquer parts of, of Canaan, but then they left pockets untouched that God had called them to, to wholehearted obedience, and they didn't really do that. And so the second generation, I feel like, came along. It's like, well, why bother? I mean, we have all that we need. And they became just, just you know, they, they were content with the status quo. They were content with mediocrity. They were content with those things. And I believe far too many Christians today are content with mediocrity in our own lives. And we're content with mediocrity in our kids' lives. When it comes to faith, because we're not okay with mediocrity when it comes to grades. We're not okay with mediocrity when it comes to sports. I mean, we'll invest all sorts of time and money and invest all these things. We're not okay when it comes to what career path you're going to take. We're not okay with mediocrity there. And I'm not saying we, we should be. I'm just saying when it comes to to the most important thing, we can't be okay with mediocrity there. The enemy wants us to believe that the status quo is all there is. And for a lot of people, he's convinced that that's the truth. And so as Christian parents, we should want an even richer and deeper experience with the Lord for our children. This is what I, this is what I thought about today. We cannot be satisfied with simply reliving and reproducing the past. Like, we shouldn't just want, here, here's, and this is a good thing, but this is not what I believe what God wants for us. We, we should not just want to reproduce our faith, want them to have what we have. We want them to have a deeper walk with God. We want them to, to have a, a greater relationship. We want them to walk in greater obedience than we do. We want them to, to be higher. And so we want to use this platform to, to take to a higher level, not just to, to have what we have. We want them to, to take it higher. This is what we want for our kids. And this is what God is calling us to. All right. Number two, they took God's blessings for granted and didn't, and didn't acknowledge him. They took God's blessings for granted and didn't acknowledge him. Listen, listen let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." See, there's a danger when we become blessing-centered rather than God-centered. And he's saying, hey, remember, remember where this gift comes from. Remember. And think of it like this. God, God doesn't tell his people this. He doesn't tell us this because this is what makes him feel good. This is what makes him happy. This is what gives his purpose and meaning. No, he says, praise, worship, give thanksgiving because this is a, a tool of protection against the second generation syndrome. These are good. 
And this will help protect you from falling into this type of mentality and this type of, of way. So apathy dies where praise flourishes. So you think, okay, well, well what, do, what do I do? Like, this is overwhelming, Pastor Brian. Like, what, what exactly do I do? How do I make sure that my kids or my grandkids or my friends' kids or the kids that I get to minister to week in and week out, how do I make sure? Well, just start by teaching them this. Because they grow up in a world where they have everything. Everything. And honestly, I don't know that that's a good thing. But they have everything. We've got to tell them where that gift comes from. And we've got to teach them to, that that would lead into greater worship and praise and thanksgiving. And then number three, they neglected God's word. They neglected God's word. See, they possessed the scripture. They possessed everything that Joshua possessed. They just chose to ignore it. Now, now, now hear me. Because they were still in and around religious things. See, they were showing up to church Sunday and Wednesday. They were in and around these things. Ritually, they did what the law required, but the obedience was based on, on tradition. That's what it was based on. It was based on tradition, not, not personal biblical conviction. That's what God is, has called us to. So there's a, there's a difference between a direct and indirect relation to Scripture. There's a difference between a direct and indirect relationship to Scripture. See, you can, you can have a conversation with two different people, and they can give you, and you can ask a question, and they can give you the same exact answer. The same exact answer. But one is just peddling secondhand convictions. See, you can have a conversation with somebody, and they can tell you because they've sat in enough sermons, or they did grow up in a Christian home, and so they know all the the Christian things to say. They know all the Sunday school answers, and so they can spit it out, oftentimes without little conviction or little passion or any way of just personal testimony of how this has been true for them, but they know all the answers. They can give the information, but they're just peddling secondhand convictions. See, they're, they're riding on the coattails of their parents' convictions, or they're riding on the coattails of their pastor's convictions. They're riding on the coattails of their community group leaders' convictions, or maybe their, their friends' convictions, but it's not their personal convictions. And see, then the other person responds with a personal conviction because they've been in the Word of God. They've been spending time with the author of the Word of God. That They're being shepherded by the Father. They hear His voice. They know His voice. And so they're they're communicating information, but it's not just information. It's not secondhand information. So we've got to be aware of the, the danger of secondhand convictions and, and experiences. And so don't neglect the Word of God. And, and so we don't personally, personally neglect the Word of God. If you have kids in your house, you should be pursuing the Lord through the Word for yourself personally so that you would have personal conviction and just spend time with God. But understand this. Your kids are watching. And if you think that they're just going to grow up in your home and they're going to see you do one thing and they're going to do another, I mean, it does happen, but I'm just telling you, that's not normally the case. And so as you spend time in the Word of God and you pursue God and you, and you seek His face and, you, and then you start sharing these things that God's teaching you and showing you as you spend time with Him in His Word, then that's going to impact your kids and, and 
so on and so forth. Like that's what's going to naturally happen. So much of what kids learn is, you've heard this said, is caught, not taught. Right? And so as they, as they watch you live out your faith, they're learning. They're learning. And if we have a weak, comfortable, safe faith, the chances are that the second generation is going to have a, a weaker, safer, more comfortable faith. And it's just this natural progression, and that's what we see all throughout Scripture and all throughout, throughout Judges. I told you I was going to feel a little overwhelming, didn't I? But God loves us, and He wants us to know this. And I love you. I want you to know this, and I want your kids to, to not fall into this trap of the, the enemy. And so don't neglect the Word. God's strategy against complacency. Let's talk about that. This is where we'll end tonight. God has a strategy. Don't we want to know what that is? Yeah, what's, what's the strategy against complacency? In Judges chapter 3, uh, this won't be, uh, this isn't on your handout, but you got your Bible open, or should have your Bible open. So Judges chapter 3, verse 2 verses. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. So here's what, here's what God didn't do. He didn't leave them to wallow in their apathy. He put them in a position to have trust in Him, to, to have to trust Him in battle, to force them to trust Him in battle, to pursue His agenda, His way. And so he caused some difficulty in their life in order to, because, because of his goodness, because of his grace, to bring, him, bring them back to himself. And so oftentimes, why didn't God take away sinful desires or take away our weaknesses or remove the obstacles or remove the difficulties or remove the pain or the suffering? He's teaching us greater dependence. He's teaching us greater trust so that we can grow in our faith. That's what he's doing. And so he used... Difficult circumstances uses difficult circumstances to shake us out of our apathy to teach us to trust Him. All right, so I think this is the last hard thing I got for you guys. I think, but it's important. Um, our culture today, we think that being a good parent means rescuing our kids from any difficulty. That we swoop in and we fix all their problems. We make sure that they don't experience any difficulties, consequences. That we protect them at any cost. And that is not how God parents. He's not. That's not how he parents. In fact, he does the opposite here. He loves he loves us enough to let us experience those things for our good. And sometimes the worst thing that we can do is swoop in and make sure everything's perfect all the time and fix all our problems for our kids and do everything and make sure it's this and sweet and we're the hero and we're the No, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the hero. And if if we're going to come in and fix all the problems, then they're never going to be in a situation where they have to trust God. They're never going to be in a situation where they have to depend on God because we're coming in and making sure everything's fine, everything's good. And, and I believe that there are a lot of times as parents, well-meaning, well-meaning, 
Let me say that. I believe that it is well-meaning. We want to be good parents, and so we want to do all these things for our kids and make sure that they don't hurt and they don't do. And well-meaning, there are a lot of times we come in and we're working against God in our own kids' lives. And that's, that's just the truth. That's just the truth. The only way that our kids are going to become dependent upon God is if they learn to trust Him personally. If they learn to trust Him personally. If, if they see God move personally in their own lives. That's, that's when they're going to have faith of their own. That's when the second generation syndrome goes out the window. They're not riding on the coattails of, of their church. They're not riding on the coattails of their parents. They're not riding on the coattails of the first generation. They're riding, on, they're riding with Jesus. That's, that's what he intended. And so they're going to have to be put into situations that require this. And I'm just telling you, as a parent who's witnessed it over and over and over again, it is painful. You want to come in and you want to save the day. You want to help your kids. You want to take away the pain. You want to take away... But that's not what's best. And I'm not saying you should just, again, hey, kid, figure it out, you know. Sorry, I'm not going to do anything. No, but just let the Spirit of God, as we just studied about for the last several weeks... Let the Spirit of God lead and guide you in your parenting, but don't feel like you have to come in and save the day in every situation. All right. And then we cannot stand still in our Christian experience. We cannot stand still in our Christian experience. Enemies are to, uh, enemies are to be faced. Ground is to be gained. There's an advancement of the, of the kingdom. We've got to be a people who are, who are allowing God to push us and then we were also pushing the people around us. There's a, there's a story of, a, of an old band who was on an ocean liner. And he, um, so he was on an ocean liner. And uh, there was a storm that blew in. And there was a lady on the, on the deck who actually went overboard. And so everybody had gathered around. And they're all, um, all looking overboard, kind of frozen, looking like, okay, well, what do we do? And old man goes overboard and goes down. He, you know grabs a hold of her, holds on to her, rescue boat comes along, they get in the rescue boat, he comes up on the deck, everybody's clapping and praising, you know, awesome, great job. Later that night, they had this big party, and they convinced him to, to give a speech, and, uh, and so, you know, he goes up and he's like, I have one question, one question, and everybody's just kind of embarrassed, you know, because he's the oldest guy on the boat, and they're like, this is the guy who jumped off, and they're like, okay, he's about to call us out, and his question is, who pushed me? Who pushed me? But really, that's, that's what the Christian faith is about. Like, like, we're allowing God to push us into uncomfortable situations because it's in those uncomfortable moments that we, we step out in faith where, where God does great things. And our kids need to see that. Our kids need to see that. And we need to be pushing our kids, not making things safer for our kids, but, but pushing our kids into in the direction of places where it's uncomfortable for them, where, where we, they're going to have to be dependent and resilient, and they're going to have to depend on God, where they're challenged. We have to do those things. And that's where God will grow our kids. Our job isn't to make life easier for our kids. Our job is to make them more like Christ and do everything that we can to cultivate that relationship. And so God pushes us. He nudges us in uncomfortable situations. We should 
it, at the appropriate time in the appropriate ways, we should be nudging our kids to step out into uncomfortable situations. And the last thing, the way we avoid the second generation syndrome is to be continually moving towards, towards Jesus. I don't want us to leave here tonight discouraged. God is the perfect father. He, uh, he loves us more than we will ever know. He offers more grace than we will ever deserve. Uh, he loves our children more than we can ever love our children. And not only that, he's placed us in a family where we get to do this together. He's given us his word where we're able to just kind of stop and reflect on difficult conversations like tonight. He's sovereign and he's good. All these things are true. But we do need to be mindful about this. There are some challenges and the enemy will use, you know, I've had this conversation I don't know how many times with teenagers. What God intends to be a great blessing, there's no greater blessing than, than growing up in a Christian home, having Christian parents that are sacrificially loving you and, and pointing you towards Christ. But there are so many times I've had conversations with teenagers and what God intended to be the greatest blessing, they see as a curse. My parents are so, they're this, they're that. They won't let me do this. They won't let me do that. Man, your parents love you. And so just understand that that the enemy's at work. And so there are some challenges. And so we got to stay focused. we got to keep the main thing the main thing. And, and it is a gift for our, to be able to, to be believers, to raise kids as believers, to, to have them grow up in a place like this where, I mean, just think this past Sunday where we had these five baptisms of teenagers that just God's moving and working and doing things in, in, in our, the next generation's lives. And so, but we would be foolish to t- stick our head in the sand and say, oh, well, you know, we bring them to church and we're Christians, so they're going to be okay. No, we got to stay focused. We got to stay on mission. We got to be diligent. We got to be diligent.